like to echo Pastor John and uh, welcome everyone. My name is Tanner Turley. I serve as one of the pastors here of Redemption Hill. And I'm also thankful that you braved it through the snow. I mean, how brave did you have to, have to be? Uh, but anyway, I'm thankful that you made it. It wasn't too bad, right? I mean, it could have been, could have been a lot worse. So, uh, but, but kudos to you for not letting uh, you know, that stop you from, from uh, coming together to, uh, to worship this morning. Um, well, let me, uh, let, me, let me give you an important update, all right? So whether you are new or not so new to Redemption Hill, uh, you need to know that next Sunday is a huge Sunday for us, all right? And, and why is that? Five years. That's right. Thank you very much. Next Sunday is to the very day, five years for us as a church, So we are going to celebrate and celebrate big time. Uh, This week we're going to be flooding, hopefully, you have to help with this, all right, but we're going to be flooding social media with just posts and memories and stories and pictures, and I might even drop a couple videos impromptu this week. I mean, I don't usually do that, but you can always learn something new. Um, So so we're going to have a lot of fun with that, hashtag RHC, the number five years. You got it? RHC, five years. We're going to celebrate just... Thank God for what he's done uh, in our lives, how he's used this church to impact many lives and be about the good of our city. Uh, And then next Sunday, we're going to celebrate with a great worship service and then an awesome jazz brunch to follow downstairs in the Boys and Girls Club. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, and then I'm really excited about this, okay, Maybe, maybe, maybe most of all. We're going to next Sunday in worship, as well as at the jazz brunch, we're going to take up uh, a donations offering for the Boys and Girls Club, because we're a church in the city for the city, right? And, and we're going to use the money that we collect to massively transform one of the kids' classrooms downstairs. How about that? You guys ready for that? I, that's right. Thank you very much. So, so listen, um, we want to come strong on that, right? We want to come strong, be generous uh, together collectively to do something really great for one of Medford's greatest assets. We really believe the Boys and Girls Club does a fabulous job with kids and families. So those are just a few of the ways that we're going to celebrate uh, starting now all the way through next Sunday. I uh, hope, you're, hope you're ready for that. Well, uh, we, we are a church in the city of Medford for the city, and we're going we're gonna to take these, these next four Sundays, including today, to explore the idea of being for the city. And today we're going to think about this topic of our work lives, all right? Now, now this may be a newsflash to you, but most people actually spend the majority of their waking hours at work. Aren't you excited about that reality? And in fact, I want to just like put this in very concrete terms, all right? If, if you um, plan to work for the next 40 years, all right, which is, which is in my game plan, all right, so the next 40 years, um, and let's just say that you work the average American uh, work week of 45 hours, you get a couple weeks of vacation, hopefully, in there, um, you're actually going to spend about 90,000 hours at work. Well, where's the applause for that, you know? Nobody's excited about that, huh? All right. So, 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 but at the same time, if we were to cal- calculate the amount of time that we would spend in worship like this, I mean, I, by the way, I plan on being right here at Redemption Hill. I may not be this kind of role 
when I'm 70, 75. But, but anyway, like, I plan on being here in Medford, our family, too. And so let's just assume that for the next 40 years, we're all here together worshiping Jesus on Sundays. Um, guess how many hours that would amount to? 2,500. Now, 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 this is what drives me absolutely crazy, and, and, and this is partly my fault or at least as representing pastors throughout you know, the world, this is kind of our fault, and, and this is it. For most people, and perhaps this is you this morning, there is a massive disconnect between what happens in the 90,000 hours out there and the 2,500 hours in here. For whatever reason, we assume that like the, like the spiritual stuff, the good stuff, the, like the real worship is going on only when we gather on Sundays, but those other, you know, 45 hours of our week, like, hmm, does God really care about those hours? Does God have anything to say about all of that? And so what I want to do today, I want to hopefully help us to connect the dots. To, as the the Center for Faith and Work in New York City uh, says, to integrate the inseparable. That's good. Integrate the inseparable. You see, these spheres of of our, our faith lives and our work lives, they are spheres that should never be separated. They should always be in sync. So I want us to think about today, like what is it, what does it look like? If we're going to be a church, a people, which is what the church is, that's in the city for the city, it makes the most sense to me to start with where we spend the majority of our waking hours in our city, and that is at work. So uh, today I want to invite us all, including myself, to promote the good of our city by putting in good work, all right? Promote the good of our city by putting in good work. Now, how are we going to do that? I'm going to give you four ways we're going to do that, all right? Uh, number one, be who God has made you to be. Be who God has made you to be. If we open up the the opening chapters uh, of the Bible, what we find is that God is a working God and God has made us to work. Listen to the words of Genesis 127. It says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we just asked the question, if, if, if God uh, is and, and if God made us um, in his image to reflect him and be like him, then who is this, who is this God? And the opening verses of, of Genesis tell us that God is the creator God. He is the divine worker. As Jesus said in John chapter 5, my father is always at work and I too am working So our God is a working God. He made us in his image as people who were made to work. 
to put in work day in and day out. It's, it's comforting to me to know that every single day before I punch the time clock, like God has already beat me to work. The same is true for you. And so how do we, how do we see this um, work out uh, as, as, as the story goes on? Well, well it says this, uh, after God made them, it says that God blessed them, and he said to them in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So let me just break this down for you, okay? Um, first off, G- God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply, right? So a way that we can sum that up is that God says, make beautiful lives, right? We're talking about making babies here, in case you missed all of that, all right? We're talking about making beautiful lives, making babies, right? This is part of what theologians call the cultural mandate. Like, how does society and civilization move forward? How do people move forward? Well, they keep having more people. Simple as that. That's God's idea. God made us, and he wants us to fill the earth with people who know and love him. All right, so that's part of it. But then he goes on to say right after that, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. And so this may not be as straightforward as making beautiful lives, but actually what it means for us to subdue the earth and have dominion over it is to, you ready for this, make life beautiful. We make beautiful lives, but we also are to make life beautiful. And you say, well, Tanner, how do you get that from subdue and have dominion? What does all that mean? Well, this is what it means. Subdue, the earth, refers to taking the raw materials of creation and doing something constructive with the good creation that God has made. So um, some have said that, that it means to tame something that is wild. In other words, if we think about it like this, if we were to just start quitting our jobs and no one worked in society, the civilization that we have built would actually become a, a wilderness wasteland, right? That, that is the implication. If we just all quit our jobs and... I mean, this, this orderly world would become more and more chaotic. So we are to subdue the earth, and we are to have dominion over the earth. It refers to reigning over, having responsibility for. I love what one Hebrew scholar says um, when he says it's actively partnering with God and taking the world somewhere. That's what it means to subdue the earth and to have dominion over the earth. We are partnering with God to take the, the raw materials of creation and actually creating something with these materials and cultivating them for the good of those around us. And so God is a working God. He made us in his image to work. Genesis 2.15 makes it like super explicit when it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we are to, we are to, and this, by the way, when is this, when is all this happening? Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, like this is, this is in the very beginning. So this is, as we discussed last week, this is when everything was perfect. So now people are like, man, I have to work because of what theologians call the fall. There's a consequence for our wrongdoing, right? But, but this is not the case for work. Work was happening before Adam and Eve rebelled against God. 
And so work was in the very beginning. And by the way, if you keep reading the Bible, you can look at the prophets, Isaiah and Jesus, what he says in his parables and the gospels, and even all the way through the book of Revelation, like there will be work forever. So if you just like, if you don't like to work, then you need to like believe in a different God and a different kingdom that's gonna be established because you are going to work and serve God and others forever. We're to work the earth, we are to keep it, which means to take care of it, to watch over and protect it, which by the way, is why Christians should be some of the greenest people on the planet, okay? We should care for the world that God has made. We should pick up stinking trash on the streets, you know what I'm saying? And so actually, in just a little blurb here, on April 30th, that's exactly what we're going to do. Medford Square, there's going to be a cleanup Saturday morning, 10 a.m., and I hope Redemption Hill shows up and shows up large, right? Because we care for our city. We love our city. We want to take care of this good world that God has made. But as we think about being for the city, um, this is, as we, as we are co-cultivators with God, this is how we can be for the city. This is how we can contribute to the good of our city is by joining the working God in our work. You see, behind all of this, no matter, listen, no matter what field you are in, the hand of God, the heart of God, the mind of God is, is behind all of our work. So this is what Mark Knoll says in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. This is a, this is a weighty a paragraph. Listen to this. He says this. Who, after all, made the world of nature and then made possible the development of sciences through which we find out more about nature? Who formed the universe of human interactions and so provided the raw materials for politics, economics, sociology, and history? Who is the source of harmony, form, and narrative pattern and so lies behind all artistic and literary possibilities? Who created the human mind in such a way that it could grasp the endless realities of nature, of human interactions, of beauty, and so make possible the theories of such matters uh, by philosophers and psychologists? Who, moment by moment, sustains the natural world, the world of human interactions, and the harmonies of existence? Who maintains moment by moment the connections between what is in our minds and what is in the world beyond our minds? The answer in every case is the same. God did it and God does it. Our God is a working God. He made us in his image to reflect him. He made us to work. That's why, by the way, just as a sidebar, like if you are out of work for a while, and I know that's a reality for some of you. When we want to pray for you, you can let us know that so we can pray for you and maybe even help you discover uh, an opportunity. But, but for people that are unemployed or underemployed, there's a, there's a sense of dissatisfaction. There's a sense of natural discouragement, even that can spiral down into depression. Why? Because we were made to work. So be who God has made you to be and who he's made us to be our workers. But then number two, do what God has made you to do. Do what God has made you to do. God has, as we talk about Redemption Hill, God has uniquely shaped each and every one of us with specific gifts, with specific passions, with unique abilities. 
with a unique personality, and he's given us all different experiences. And so we align all of these factors in our life, and we take them and we find good work for us to do. You see, God wants us to find fulfillment in our work. And so people have referred to this as calling, or maybe you know the word vocation. And the Bible talks about vocation in 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Um, We see this idea when Paul writes, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. God has given us an assignment. God has given us a calling. Sometimes that, that assignment changes. Sometimes that calling is redirected. But God gives us assignments to live out vocation and to work. Now, um, as, we, as we think about this, I love in my research this week, I discovered this, this, uh, this, this uh, fact, all right? The word vocatio in the Latin, you can actually translate that to the word voice. And so in our work, we are actually, as, as some people throughout church history have said, we are actually letting our life speak. Isn't that good? In our work, our lives are speaking. They're telling, they're telling a story of who God has made us to be, who God has shaped us to be. We're doing what we were made to do. And so everyone has a, a special assignment from God. Everyone. Like, don't, don't miss that. Let's not throw away like sentence there, right? Everyone has a special assignment from God. So let me spell out the implications because some of you missed that, all right? Some people think this Some people think Pastor Tanner, he has a special assignment from God, right? He's, he's got a Bible up here. He's talking about God. He's trying to help others know who God is and, you know, love God and worship God. And so that's the sacred work. Pastors, missionaries, Christian counselors, they're doing the sacred stuff. But, but, but just everyone else out here in the seats, second class work, less important work. All right, let, let's just, right, can we kind of debunk that bad theology this morning? Can we just kind of put that to rest? That's not bad, right? That's horrible, abysmal, asinine. I had to look up that word just to make sure it was right, all right? I mean, this, this is bad. This is bad. This is asinine. Sounds like a curse word, man. All right. Here's how you beat that down, okay? Oh, so you're telling me that, like, putting food on the table... God doesn't care about that. He doesn't want people to eat. So thank you, grocers, farmers, baristas, and chefs. Thank you very much for doing God's work. You're telling me that God doesn't care about developing young minds to prepare them for the future? Also, thank you, teachers and those in the field of education. You're telling me that uh, God doesn't really care about the marginalized and the broken and the sick, that that doesn't reflect the heart of God? 
So let's give applause to the social workers and the counselors and the doctors and the nurses, those serving in pharmaceuticals or the healthcare industry. Does, does God care about a safe and just society? Public servants, politicians, police uh, officers, lawyers, those in the criminal justice system. We could go on and on and on. Mr. Mechanic, thank you for being assigned by God to keep my car running. You know what I'm saying? That's a big deal because I couldn't ever do that, all right? <laughs> Mrs. T worker, like, thank you for showing up to work so that I can catch the tea to get to my work. Mr. Sanitation worker, like, is, wait, so is, is, is there a dignified work and demeaning work or is there just work? Is, is, is there secular work and sacred work, or is there just work? Mr. Sanitation Worker, thank you for not going on strike so that Boston doesn't suffer from the bubonic plague, you know, in a few years, right? I mean, that's real. If I left anyone out, which I'm sure I did, like, I mean, Everyone deserves to be mentioned because all work has dignity before God, with the exception of, of the kind of work that just is a distortion of God's creation and an absolute destruction of the human, uh, you know, uh, worth and, and, and dignity. So, you know, like the Hugh Hefners of the world and the Bernie Madoffs and the, and the Whitey Bulgers, okay, like that's not, that's not a calling. That's not, that's not true work. That's evil, right? But, but, but for the rest of us, like... Can, can we please come together to say, like, whatever God has assigned you to do, this is what Martin Luther said back in the, in the 1500s. He said, you know, the, 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 the pastor and the baker, the person that's making bread, they, they, they both have a calling from God that is to be fulfilled in what he has assigned for them to do. All of life matters. The spheres should not be separate. So you say, well, Tanner, we all have an assignment, but how do, we, how do we figure out that assignment? If we have this calling, then how do we discover that calling? How can we find fulfillment in our work? And so I've, I've taken a, a few sources and I've kind of adapted a series of questions. Let me just offer these to you as a way I hope that you can find some fulfilling work as you move forward in your life. All right, college students paying attention. Thank you very much. All right, so, so number one, what do you love? What is your heart before? What do you love? Dorothy Sayers says this. Um, the Christian understanding of work is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's ability, the, the medium in which he offers himself to God. So, so, so here, here we go. Pursue work that you enjoy, and you will find more joy in your work. What do you love to do? Number two, what are you good at? There's just some things that people are naturally good at and some things that we are naturally not so good at. So how, how has God shaped you? How has he given you abilities and gifts and talents to take the natural competencies that you have and turn them into to skills that can then be used in the workplace? You know, I love to go to museums. 
I don't do it that often, but, but, but when I'm able to, with Marsha friends, like, I, I'm enamored by, like, Rembrandt is one of my favorite, favorite painters, and, and, you know, I, I, I all of a sudden start to have these visions, right? Like, you know, Parker and Kessa, they have some, they have some crayons, you know, around the house. Like, I feel like I can, like, start to, to realize, like, my, my Rembrandtian or my Michelangelo, you know, kind of dreams and go home and, like, produce this beautiful work of art. But then I look back and I was like, my stick men are kind of crooked, you know, and like one's leg is like all out of whack. And it's like, that's not who I am. I might really appreciate it, but, but I would never make a painter or an artist. And so God has, God has gifted us to, to do certain things and, and he's left other things that maybe we would even like to do to other people who are really good at those things. Uh, number three, what does your world need? We're going to talk more about this, but, but does, does our work make the world a more garden-like place? Like, like what it was in the very beginning. We keep talking about shalom, flourishing, life as it ought to be. Like, are we meeting needs, contributing to the good of society in our work? Number four, what do people who know you well say? So, so, so isn't, it, isn't it wise to like, hey, talk to some friends? Talk to some, some, some people in your life, maybe your parents, maybe some mentors. Like I, one of the things that I did, which I'm, I'm glad I did, is uh, in graduate school when I was thinking about possibly planting a church somewhere in the United States, I went to my two mentors, Pastor Dwayne Milioni and Dr. Danny Aiken, and I said, hey, like, do you think I might have what it takes to do a decent job at this. So we need that affirmation. We need that confirmation from those around us who say, yeah, I think you can keep working on that and, and grow to, to, to serve in that way. And then finally, let's not, let's not miss this one. What is God stirring you to do? Let's not, let's not remove the place of prayer in this journey. Let's seek godly counsel, and let's watch how God is at work in our lives. And then I think I missed, what are, what are open doors? Yeah, I missed that one. What are, what are the open doors in your life? So are there, are there opportunities? Are there experiences? You've maybe taken a class or you've been given an internship or, or you, you know, got to hang out with some people that were in a particular field and then all of a sudden you just started to really find a deep interest in those things. So all of these questions can help diagnose where we can find fulfilling but then you say, well, well, Tanner, like, man, I'm in a job right now, and um, things aren't going great. Like, I don't really love it. I'm not particularly great at it. Um, people told me I shouldn't take in this job, but I did it anyway. And I'm like, um, what should I do? Let me give you a couple of, of thoughts here, all right? Uh, number one, perhaps, perhaps, the wisest thing that some of you could do, let's not say all of us, okay, but, but for, for some of us, the, the wisest thing you could do is to quit your job. I'm saying, I'm, I'm for real, quit. But not like tomorrow, quit, okay? Like, okay, like for 99.9% of people, it's really wise to not quit your job until you have another job, all right? So Pastor Tanner is not telling you to quit putting food on the table for the sake of your, you know, but... But, but might it not be true? Might it not be the wisest thing to say, you know what, 
this is, this is not satisfying. It's not contributing to the, to the good that my heart beats for. And so I want to step back and I want to reevaluate. I want to just start having conversations and praying and, and looking into other possibilities and seeing if God might start opening some other doors, whether it's three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now. To start the process to say, you know what, man? Maybe God is working even through sermons. God works through sermons like, to, to make me to consider maybe I should go a different route. And then also related to this, uh, this was a thought-provoking, you know, uh, statement that I came across this week. Um, Maybe we should stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. I mean, like, I think that's a fun question, all right? And and I actually think we should probably keep asking that question. But but listen to what what John Comer says about this question. He says, um, We usually ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wonder if we're setting them up for failure with that question. Maybe a better question is, who are you? What do you think God made you to do when you grow up? I like that. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying like, I'm going to keep asking Kessid because she wants to be Rapunzel, and I think that's really cool, all right? So like, I'm going to keep asking Kessid, what do you want to be when you grow up? But then I'm going to back that up with, hey, Kessid, guess what? God made you special. God made you unique. You have particular kind of abilities that are going to be able to be used to serve the good of other people. And so you're going to be able to find that as you continue to move through life. Those are the kind of questions we want to help kids ask and answer these days. That's a biblical worldview, right? So, so, so then to come back to the question, all right, Tanner, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not satisfied. I'm not loving it. I'm not good at it. What on earth do you, do you do? Can you, listen, here's the question. Can I find any fulfillment in my work when I wish that I had another job like tomorrow? And here's the, here's the sweet thing about Jesus, all right? Like Jesus puts meaning into what seems meaningless, so how, how is that? Well, well, this is how. Um, because God primarily made us not for our own pleasure, not to fulfill our own desires and to meet our own needs, but to serve and meet the needs of those around us. So, so, so this lawyer asked Jesus a really important question. Hey, Jesus, like, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus says what? Love God with everything that you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I want to argue is that in our work, the reason that God gives us work to do is so that we can practically, for 45 roughly hours of the week, we can love our neighbor as ourself. And so be who God has made you to be. Do what God has made you to do. But then serve who God leads you to serve. One of the fundamental reasons we work is so that we can fulfill this commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. I would say the wasted life is is the life that doesn't add value to those around them. But in our work, this this is what the aim of our work is. It is to add value. It is to contribute to the good of the people around us. So let's just, let's just have a fun conversation. If, if I were to ask most people, hey, why do you go to work every day? What do you think most people are going to say? Pay the bills, right? 
Uh, Salary.com from 2013 survey said a whopping 73% of those surveyed work strictly for the paycheck. Wow. And most of them probably would appreciate the words of Steve Allen when he said, I work, let me get this straight, all I ever wanted was an honest week's pay for an honest day's work. (laughs) Right? 73, it's probably 100% feel that way, right? So, like, is, are we just working for a paycheck? To drill down, like, are there certain jobs that we, we would not take because they're not, you know, they're not six-figure, they're not, like, going to give me this cushy lifestyle. And so rather than doing something I love and something that contributes to the, the, the betterment of people around me, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, put those to the side so I can just make more money. Hmm, what if, what if that's not God's design Got to pay the bills, got to put food. We do have to put food on the table. I mean, Proverbs even says this, a worker's appetite uh, works for him. His mouth urges him on, right? So, like, don't hear me saying, like, we don't need to earn a, earn a living. We don't need to make a, a paycheck, right? We, we, need to, we need to get paid, right? Got to get paid. But that's not all, right? Some people would say, I want to feel good about myself. Like, like I'm going to find my significance in my work. And this is tricky here, right, because we're, we've already been arguing, like, God made us to work, and we will find fulfillment when we put in a good day's work. But is that what we're, like, putting our ultimate hope in and seeking to find our ultimate satisfaction? Because that's when, that's when they get in this dangerous territory of, like, you know, some work is, is beneath me, and, and, and so we're just kind of doing it for this status and how I look in the sight of others. Here's another just kind of, answer that I've heard talking to friends, even young people like us. You're all in that category, okay? Um, I got to hurry up and put my 30 and 40 years in so I, can, so I can get to retirement. You know, I'm going to make my money, I'm going to save it up and invest it, and then I'm just cashing out. My prediction would be that that person will not find that route super satisfying. And why is that? It's because God made us to work, and God made us not to spend our lives on our own selfish pursuit of pleasure, but to live it for the sake of him and those around us, primarily. So I'm not saying retirement is totally unbiblical. I'm just saying a lot of times how we think about retirement is is unbiblical. So why do we work then? Like if it's like, why do you go to work? Pay the bills, look good, retire. Like, why do we go to work? Lester DeCooster says this, work is the form in which we make ourselves useful to others. That, that, is, like, that is one of the primary motivators to punch the clock each day. Like we are working so that We are useful to others, and we are contributing to a better Medford and a better Boston. I mean, what what if you you walked in to to work every day and you said, no, man, I'm going to make this place better. I'm going to make these people's lives better. I'm going to make this city better. And we start living for something bigger than ourselves. I'm telling you, not only is that going to help the people around you, that's also going to help you. God made us to work for the sake of others. And, and, and this, is, this is really helpful. Um, 
when we see work in this way, it starts to expose the myth of autonomy. All right, so just, just think about this. I love this example, right? That, that, that cushy chair that you're sitting in in the Chevalier Theater. Think about how many thousands of lives potentially went into the making of that one chair. So you have uh, not just manufacturers, but everyone who makes the factory go. And not just engineers and designers, but everyone who educated them. Oh, okay. Somebody was contributing to your comfort today. They were serving, they were like loving their neighbor in their work. And so if, if our work is primarily about making ourselves useful to others, then this is what I want you to do this weekend. You're going to love this one, okay? You're going to love it. You need to go to work this week, all right? And you need to demand a raise, all right? More. Give me more. But what if, what if we were kind of like Jesus and uh, it wasn't about monetary increase, but it was about raising the performance of our work so that we can contribute to the betterment of the lives of those around us. That's the kind of raise I want to start working for. I mean, because listen, at the end of our lives, Ain't nobody going to care what your salary was. And neither will you. But when we start impacting lives, we start contributing to the betterment of those around us, the better society, a better city, man, that stuff will last. And it points forward to the coming kingdom of God. So, So we want to... To, to be who God made us to be, do what God made us to do, serve who God leads us to serve. And then finally, we want our work to be motivated by his work. Or a different way that we could say this is let our Monday through Sunday be motivated by Good Friday. And like that was just last week, right? So let's not forget about the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus just because we're, right? Like it's everyday thing. Every day his cross matters. His resurrection matters. And so we, we see this in the gospel of John. What did Jesus pray? Just before his death, he says this, I have glorified you, Father God, having accomplished what? The work that you gave me to do. Jesus had an assignment. He had a calling. He, he put in his work. He accomplished his work. And this was one of his cries from the cross, right? What? It is finished. The work was done. Salvation has been provided now for all who believe. I've, I've shown people what the kingdom of God is like. I've taught them what the kingdom of God is like. I've embodied what the kingdom of God is like. I've made a way for people to experience the kingdom of God now and forever. Thank you. He finished the work. So, so our greatest motivator to work should actually 
Not just be serving others and doing what he would like being who he, but no, it's, it's, it's him. It's Jesus. The gospel is what motivates our work to get up every day and to finish a good day's work. Let me just give you three implications, all right? How can we reflect Jesus in our work? Uh, for starters, we can work hard. So just like Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Or the Old Testament too, I think it's back there too, like Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, like do it mightily, do it, do it with everything you have. So we want to work hard, but we don't just want to work hard, we actually want to do excellent work. You know, like, like even, even this is like a very, very practical, like I'm not trying to get up here and, and, and preach bad sermons, all right? I put my heart and soul into this stuff, right? Because, why? Because not so much like, you know, like, oh, Pastor Sam, it was a good sermon today. I'm going to share that on Facebook. I mean, whatever, you can do that. But the point is, God made me to work. I'm doing what God made me to do. I, I am, I'm doing it because Jesus has changed my life, and now he's motivating everything. So now I want to reflect the words of Proverbs 22 when it says this. I love this, right? And even this one guy, this is a sidebar story for another time. But this dude at, at this passion conference in 2000, when I was just a 19-year-old kid, he prayed these words over me. And I think that God's used them in my life in this crazy way. I've never shared that before on a Sunday, but this is, what, this is what the verse says. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Meaning, like, I feel like today, like, I'm all set, you know? Like, it's not, it's not about, like, kings and whatever, but you, you hear that, right? Like, a man's skillful in his work. Like, there's going to be significance attached to that. When we do our work, we work hard, and we work with excellence. And then we do it in his strength. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Colossians 1.29, he says, For this I toil struggling with all of what? His energy that he powerfully works within me. So when we look at the cross of Christ and we look at how Jesus went the distance, how Jesus sacrificed everything, including his own life, like how can we like punch the clock and say, you know what, man, I'm gonna like just social media today and I'm gonna like try to get that, you know, that hour lunch break and I'm gonna try to turn that into about a buck 50, you know, and then like, you know, I'm gonna like, oh, I couldn't get to that project because, you know, I'm so busy over here and I've been given so many tasks and it's like our Savior hung on a Roman cross. He accomplished the work that he finished, that he was called to do. He finished it completely. And so the gospel now motivates every detail of our life. The spheres are not separate. They're in sync. They're integrated because they were never meant to be separated. They are, in fact, inseparable. And so let me just say, our work is really all about him. We reflect him in our work by how we work, and we reflect him in our work by why we work. Because we're working to glorify him. We're working to reflect him. We're working to point people to how great he is, not how great we are. And so let me just finish with this thought. You you were made not for work, but to work. You were made not not for work, but to work. You, You were made to work, but you were made for God. And so in our work, we have the opportunity day by day to honor him, to point to him, 
to love him in our work, to love our neighbor in our work, to serve them. And oh, by the way, we don't miss out on the satisfaction too because that's just how good God is. And so let's be a church that's in the city, for the city. And when we punch the clock for, for, for 30, 40, 50, 45, 50, what, like let's do it in such a way that brings joy to the city, that helps change the city for the better because Jesus is that good. How about that? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that from Genesis to Revelation, you have given us the playbook for our work. So God, we don't want to mail it in tomorrow. We don't want to be discouraged or depressed when we go to work, God. We want to honor you and to serve those around us and to do what we do to enjoy it and to reflect and honor you. So God, would you infuse our work weeks with meaning, with purpose, God, with, with satisfaction. God, we, we all are prone to frustration. We're prone to laziness. We're prone to, to, to not necessarily being people that are in the city and for the city, even in our work. But God, please change that in us. And God, I just pray that if, if someone here today is, is seeing that you're real because, yeah, they understand that they were made to work and they see the, the finished work of Jesus, God, I just pray that they would trust in what, what he's done. God, actually, I pray that all of us would do that because all of our lives, all of our work can be, should be, motivated by his work for us and his death, his resurrection. So God, even as we sing of your sovereignty over us, even as we, we consider the sovereignty over the details of our life, this, the sovereignty over when we start a job and when we finish a job, where you've placed us, God, would you encourage us here today to live all of our lives for you? We pray this in the name of Jesus.